gospel gems or jewels in Jeremiah. We're not going through the whole book, but we're picking out passages that have the gospel in them. And in God's timing, we have come to chapter 30 this morning. I will say why that is significant. Normally at Christmas time, we break into a series and look at passages in Matthew or Luke, and sometimes in the Old Testament in Isaiah or Micah, but no one would turn to the book of Jeremiah, would they, at Christmas? But what's interesting, Jeremiah chapters 30 to 33 are all about the coming Messiah. So this Christmas, we are going to look at some of the verses in Jeremiah chapters 30 to 33. Uh, Indeed, God said to Jeremiah, write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. And the book is Jeremiah chapters 30 to 33. And traditionally, it's been called the book of consolation, comfort, uh, the book uh, of... Uh, Israel's deliverance, the hymn book even, of Israel's deliverance. It's interesting that these prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, are not just in the form of statements, but songs. Songs, hymns, carols. And the chapter we're going to look at this morning, chapter 30, is all about a song of deliverance. What's that? being freed. And we're going to sing at the end of our service, Veni Veni, which is one of my favourite Advent carols. Oh, come. Oh, come. And deliver, ransom, captive, is Rael. So if you want some verses this morning, uh, we're going to look at the first 18 verses of the chapter, but in particular... Look at verse 3. For behold, the days are coming. Now, we've got to realize here that the people that Jeremiah was talking to, most of them weren't in Jerusalem anymore. They were captives in Babylon. And Jeremiah is bringing words of comfort to them. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah. Uh, Or you can uh, look at verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Your chains shall burst. Isn't that a wonderful statement? And that is what Jesus Christ came to do to release us, not from Babylon, but from something far worse, from the power of sin. So two things this morning. I want us to look first at captivity. What is it like to be captive? What was it like to be in Babylon? What's it like to be captive to sin? Now look at the words that Jeremiah uses. Um, If you want some historical detail, 
uh, King Jehoiakim had been taken captive, 597 BC, and a lot of the rulers and a number of the people, they'd been marched to Babylon. They were no longer in their city. They were no longer in their homeland. They were exiles. What did it feel like? What is it like? Uh, Look at the words. Verses 4 and 6, if you've got a Bible. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord. This is what the people are saying, right? We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. What's captivity like? It's miserable. It's grief. Now, there is an interesting picture here. Jeremiah says, verse 6, have you ever seen a man in labor? Have you ever seen a man in labor? Well, maybe today with what's happening in society, we will see men in labor. But, <laughs> but it's unheard of, isn't it, to have a man giving birth to a child. But Jeremiah says, the birth pangs of a woman in labor is probably one of the most painful experiences that people have to go through. I'm a man, so I can't... I can't say, but it's, it is said that it's one of the most worst kind of pains. But at least when a woman is giving birth, a child is delivered. A child comes. But this is the sad thing. This is why captivity was so grievous, so miserable. These people are in, as it were, pain, like the pain of a woman in labor. But there is no deliverance. There is nothing that is delivered. Their faces have turned pale and there's no outcome. Isn't that a miserable state to be in? To go through a period of intense pain and nothing is delivered. Nothing. Isn't it like that with sin? When the devil came to our parents in the Garden of Eden, what did he promise them? He said, eat of that fruit and you'll become like gods. You will know everything. Well, yes, our eyes have been opened, but nothing was delivered, was it? We've gained the world. But at what a price. At the cost of our immortal souls. Isn't that what captivity to sin is like? It's miserable because nothing is delivered. And people kid themselves that they are really free, but they're not. They're not. They think they may be free in this life. And even if they enjoy a measure of freedom, when we die... And have to face God. That will be judgment day. So there is misery. There is grief. And then uh, linked to that. There is fear isn't there. There is torment. Uh, The the description of there being no peace. Uh, Verse 5. A voice of trembling. Of fear. And not of peace. And then a little later on. God says do not be afraid. So the people were afraid. 
there, there is torment when we are uh, captive to sin. Uh, it is a horrible thing. You may have had the experience of waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, and you've been tormented by things. And do you know what? The souls in hell are in torment. It's not me saying that. It's Jesus Christ. He used very graphic language. There shall be gnashing of teeth. What the devil did to our parents in the Garden of Eden was he showed them the bait, didn't he? You shall be like gods if you do your own thing. And then what did they find? They found once they got sucked in, they felt the hook. They felt the hook. That's the torment. That's the fear. Have you felt the hook of sin? There is a healthy kind of fear, isn't there? When, when we realize what we're really like. Uh, you know, the prodigal, he went into a far country and he went thinking that he had all the money in the world, all the time at his hands, and he was going to be free and he was going to live as he wanted. But in the end, the money ran out and nothing was delivered. And what happened? He began to fear. What caused him to fear? He came to his senses. You remember the picture. Here is he. He's got so low, he can't even uh, have a job. The only job he's got is looking after the pigs. And he has to feed himself on the husks that he's feeding the pigs with. And coming to his right mind, he realizes his misery. We often see the baits and are drawn. But are you feeling the hook? Is there somebody here this morning who's beginning to fear? It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing to fear sin, you know. It's a healthy thing to fear death. It's a healthy thing to come to our senses. You know, becoming a Christian isn't leaping into the dark. It's coming into the light. It's realizing that I'm not in this world forever. We've heard, haven't we, of people dying of COVID. I was told the other day of somebody in their 20s who died of this horrible disease. And we're not going to be here forever. One day we are going to have to leave this world behind. And it's right to be afraid. What will happen to me then? Will my soul be in hell or in heaven? Fear. And then there's something else. Isolation. Isolation. Verse 11. God says, I've scattered you. I've scattered you. It's very interesting. In this chapter, God doesn't just refer to Judah on its own, but to Judah and Israel, the northern tribes. But what happened to uh, the people of God? They were separated. That's what captivity to sin does. It isolates. It divides and then what happened in captivity? The people were divided from their homeland and they went as exiles. Doesn't that make sense? If we become like gods, imagine each one of us is a little god. What's God like? God is in control of his world, isn't he? 
God is the one who is number one. Well, imagine if every person thinks in that way. What's going to happen? We're not just isolated from the true and the living God. We're going to eventually be isolating from one another, aren't we? Because each one of us thinks he or she is right. Do you ever come across people who think that they'd rather go to hell than heaven because hell is going to be one big party? Have you ever come across that, that view? And they think that heaven's going to be a miserable place because it's going to be like church. Not that church is a miserable place. Well, it was for me until I was saved. <laughs> now, hell is not going to be one big party because no one's going to be getting along with each other in hell. Because the essence of sin is that it isolates, it isolates. We see that, don't we? We've seen something of it in lockdown, how people have got isolated from one another, polarized. Well, take that to its logical conclusion, and you've got hell, my friends. Everybody's going to be against each other in hell. God is going to leave people to themselves in hell. God is going to say, there you are. You didn't want me. You're going to have forever without me. And because I've turned my back on you, there is no good that is going to be in hell. You're all going to fall out with one another. And you know what? Sin even isolates us from our true selves. Isolation. It's a horrible thing, isolation. You can be lonely in a crowd, can't you? Isolation. That's the cause of sin. And then look at uh, the other way it's described. I'm just um, briefly going through these things because I want to get to the comforts. <laughs> because it is a book of comforts. Verse 12, God says, you're incurable. Your wound is so severe, it can't be healed. It sounds hopeless, doesn't it? Uh, he talks about being enslaved. It's like sin having a hold on a person. It's like having an addictive illness. You just can't, can't get out of it. You can't treat yourself. Uh, this is how one commentator put it. Sin will not be satisfied until it achieves total domination. It seizes the mind so that we think sinful thoughts. It grabs the body to perform wicked deeds. It poisons the imagination to crave unholy fantasies. It leads the will to its own design. In the end, it steals the heart so that the sinner loves what is evil and hates what is good. The plan of sin is to completely destroy the image of God in us. Praise God, we can still see something of God in one another and in the world. But what the devil wants to do is completely erase that. Now, that, that, that's <laughs> the people that Jeremiah is addressing, people who are captive. And my friends, that's what we are really like. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Are you mourning this morning because you're captive to sin? Now, I've got good news. I've got good news. Now, what's amazing is this. Jeremiah was writing these words to people who are already in Babylon. Isn't that a comfort? 
this book of comforts in chapters 30 to 33 is addressed to people who are already incurable, who are already in chains, who are already unable to do anything about it. Now, what did they need? What did those people need? It wasn't just a book that they needed. You know, a book means learning, doesn't it? It wasn't just a teacher that these people needed. It wasn't just good advice that these people needed. It wasn't even somebody to love them that these people needed. Now, sometimes Christianity is portrayed in those ways, isn't it? We're told, ah, yes, all you need is just some good advice. All you need is just to follow Jesus as an example. All you need is to adopt the teaching of Jesus. But that's no good. I've got this incurable disease. I need somebody to heal me. That's no good. I'm in chains and I can't get myself out of them. I need somebody to deliver me. And this is the consolation. Oh, I haven't got time to go through all the verses But listen to God speaking here. Notice the words that are repeated. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, verse 8, that I will break the yoke from your neck, and I will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave you. I will raise them up. Verse 9. Or a little later on, verses 10 and 11. A bit repetitive, I know, but it's so encouraging. Do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Did you notice the words that are repeated? I will do this. I have promised to deliver you. I am saying to you, be not afraid or be not dismayed. Isn't that simple? Did any of you hear Billy Graham preach? Did you hear Billy Graham preach? He was a powerful preacher, wasn't he? And it wasn't just because he was a good orator. He would repeat, I can't get the exact words right, but he would repeat in his sermons something like this. For the Bible says, or Scripture says, or it is written. That's what gave power. God has said it. And it's true. God has said, I will deliver you from Babylon. And do you know what happened? Because God said it, it happened. (laughs) God said, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. And do you know how long the people were there for? 70 years. Why? Because God had said it. God said, after 70 years, I will set you free and bring you back to the land. And do you know what happened after 70 years? Even though it looked impossible at the time, the people did return to the land. But you know what? This can't be just about the people returning to the land after 70 years. Why do I say that? Because God promises them a king. God promises a king. Verse 9, they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. When the people returned to the land after 70 years were up, they didn't have a king, did they? They had rulers. 
And for centuries afterwards, up to the time of Jesus Christ, people didn't have a king of the line of David. Herod wasn't a real king, was he? He was a man-made king. What we're talking here about is something God made, a God-made king. And my friends, that was Jesus Christ. This promise about being delivered is about the King Jesus Christ coming. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. You and me. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. There's a message of deliverance for us who are enslaved to sin. That's why it's a comfort. In that day, in that day, says the Lord, that awesome day, verse 7, that wonderful day, that amazing day, and wasn't it just? We lose, don't we, the awesomeness of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God becoming a man. Mary, a virgin, having the Holy Spirit, not a man, cause a babe to be conceived in her womb. Emmanuel. What does it mean, Emmanuel? God, God with us. Our God. The one who has created the universe, who holds the universe in place. Our God contracted to a span, a span. Incomprehensibly made man. Wonderful. And he came, not just to be born, not just to teach, not just to be an example, but he came to actually deliver. He's the medicine of our broken hearts. As Gabriel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? The name Jesus is Joshua. And it means deliverer. He shall deliver his people, not from Babylon, but from sin. Jesus is the one who can deliver from sin. Now, maybe you're uh, thinking, uh, hang on, Pastor, I'm uh, an incurable case. Well, yes, you are, and I am, for thus says the Lord. You have an incurable condition. Uh, as the Bible says, <laughs> there is none to uphold your cause. There is no medicine for your wounds. Um, how does the Book of Common Prayer put it? There, there are some good things in the Book of Common Prayer, aren't there? And this is one of the confessions in the Book of Common Prayer. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. Now, who here cannot say that this morning? Even if you're a Christian, you've got to say, we have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. In the past week, that's how we've behaved. And this is the confession we've got to make. And there is no health in us. There is no health in us. You're all incurable. I'm incurable. You can't treat yourself. But this is what the angel said to Mary. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We can't do it. I can't do it for you. This church can't do it. The whole evangelical world can't do it. But with God, it is possible. 
For I will return health to you, and I will heal you, and I will deliver you, and I will break the yoke, says God. It's not too hard for me. How did he do it? We know, don't we? We know the old, old story. Most of you know it off by heart. Jesus was born in order to die. For Christ has redeemed us. He's ransomed us. He's paid the price to set us free. What was the price? He has ransomed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. How did that happen? It happened on the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus was the sacrifice. He paid the price for your sin and mine. All that horrible list that I've gone through at the start of my message, the misery, the torment, the isolation, the incurableness of sin, all of your sins and mine was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he took the punishment. He took your hell. I can't understand it, but an eternity of eternal torment was condensed into three hours. And Jesus Christ, being the infinite Son of God, took it, took it, so that we can go free, so that we can be delivered. Now, let me tell you a story from the time before the American Civil War. In the Civil War, the slaves were set free, weren't they, as a result of Abraham Lincoln as a result of the decree. But this is before they were freed, before the Emancipation Proclamation. And there was a slave in Missouri. Uh, let me get her name right. She was called Elizabeth. And she was a seamstress. Uh, she worked with clothes. And she was told by her owner that if she could find $1,200, which was a huge amount of money in those days, she could pay that as a ransom and be set free, right? And she said, I, I can't come up with that. It's impossible. I can't pay the ransom. So do you know what happened? She had some wealthy clients, and they contributed, and they paid the ransom so that she could be set free. And she moved this Elizabeth from Missouri to Washington, D.C., and do you know who she had as one of her clients, and they became friends? the wife of Abraham Lincoln, Mary Lincoln. Now, what God does in Jesus Christ, you and I can't pay the ransom. And what God has done is send his son. Talk about a wealthy client, the one who owns the whole universe. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. Thrones for a manger, did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for stable floor so that he paid the ransom so that you and I could go free. Isn't that wonderful? And you know what God has done? How can it be, thou heavenly king, that thou shouldst me, shouldst us to glory bring? Make slaves like you and me the partners of thy throne. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? What I'm telling you this morning is the comfort in this chapter is that what we can't do, Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. He's paid the ransom, my friends. You don't have to pay a penny 
Jesus Christ has paid to set us free. And there is something bigger than that here. I've got to come to a conclusion here. God says to these beleaguered people, fear not, fear not. You know, this is a wonderful promise. I'm thinking of the promise immediately of the Jewish people returning after 70 years of exile to their city of Jerusalem. God fulfilled that promise. I'm thinking of God's promise to keep his ancient people. Isn't it an amazing fact that the Jews are still with us? Where are the Babylonians today? Where, where, where are the ancient Egyptians? They're, they're no more. And yet the Jewish people have always been with us. Even though uh, after 70 AD they were uh, scattered all over the world, even in spite of pogroms and the Holocaust, they still could not be destroyed. God has kept his promise, hasn't he? His immediate promise to his ancient people. And this promise is even bigger than that because it includes the whole world. What did the angels say to the shepherds? Fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be not just to the Jews, not just to Israel and Judah, but to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, and what's the result? Peace on earth. No more torment. No more let sin and sorrows grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. Sin and the devil wanted to destroy God's work. The paradise that he created in Eden. Oh, the devil wanted to deface that. But Jesus Christ has come, not just to save you and me personally and deliver us personally, but he's come to destroy the works of the devil, to reverse what Satan did in paradise. So it's not just paradise lost, it's paradise regained, and it's regained in a better way. Paradise Mark 2 is better than paradise Mark 1. <laughs> Well, there we go. The book of comforts, promising deliverance from sin. Are you free this morning from sin? You know, when God frees us from sin, he doesn't free us so that we just do what we want. We're now free. What did Wesley say? My heart was free and lo, I... Uh, something and followed thee followed thee freedom to follow christ that's freedom freedom not to do our own thing but freedom to obey his word that's true freedom my friend you know what what christ does in you and me is wonderful what christ does is give us not grief and torments but he gives us peace peace within peace with one another what christ does is not isolates, but brings together, makes whole. What Christ does is cure, cure this horrible disease of sin. And my privilege this morning is to declare that. That's all I am. I'm an ambassador from the court of King Jesus. And I'm declaring freedom for the captives. Let, let me tell you again an account from the American 
Civil War. Abraham Lincoln, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation on a very important day, September the 22nd, 1862. And on January the 1st, 1863, every slave living in the Confederacy was legally free. It didn't matter how that slave felt, they were legally free. But you know what? The poor slaves, many of them, didn't know that. And you know what Lincoln did? He sent the soldiers with a copy of the proclamation. And the soldiers not only fought, but they proclaimed the liberty of these slaves. And that's the awesome task of every preacher up and down our land this morning is to read the proclamation of liberty from sin. Uh, what, what was it? What, what did Jesus Christ read from when he started his public ministry as I wind down? And often when preachers promise to finish, they don't keep their promise, do they? But let me close with this. What, what's the proclamation this morning? In Heath Church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Christ, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendants and sat down and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled. He has fulfilled it. Praise be to his name. Veni, veni, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And ransom somebody here this morning, for thy name's sake.
Rejoice, rejoice, for Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Lord, if there be any here this morning who are in bondage to sin, set them free in Jesus' name and destroy the works of the devil, we pray. And thy church, which seems across the land to be in a state of Babylonish captivity, set her free, we pray, O Lord and destroy the works of the devil, and may the gospel of Christ gain ground. And now may his grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>